seem too forward or anything, but I sure would like to meet that soloist. <laughs> One of y'all could introduce me. That'd be great. I'd appreciate Oh, she is married. Oh. Well, and so am I. Oh, that's, that's people watching this online now or on TV, they're going to, she's my wife. I'm just going to put that on video, wherever, John, wherever you have me, I'm already married to her. It's a joke. Good to see you all this morning. Uh, I'm excited about this message. Uh, great worship for us this morning. Donald, thank you, sir. Uh, choir, singers, all of you. Um, that, was, that was good. I thank you for that. We finish up Matthew this morning. Finish up the church in Matthew. Uh, we'll look at a couple of uh, Thanksgiving passages over the next couple of weeks. We'll get into our Christmas series, and we'll get back to the uh, living called out in January, and we'll pick up looking at a few passages in Luke. But this morning, we are in Matthew chapter 28 is where we're going to be. Uh, when we move to Luke, uh, Rosalie, if you're in here, I will probably change the sermon graphic. Uh, the picture will change. Uh, it's, uh, she's, she's gotten tired of the picture. And uh, so yeah, I'll, I'll do something different when we get to Luke and start talking about that. Last passage in Matthew, both for us and, well, for Matthew. It's the way he wrote it. My question for you this morning is, what is a church? What is a church? You don't have to answer out loud. Uh, there are certain things a church is not. Uh, you'll see a number of pictures now of what is not a church. None of these are churches. These are buildings. It's, it's what we call a church regularly. We go to church, uh, is what we say. But these are not churches. Yep, that's ours. It's not a church. It's a building. It's, it's t a tool. It's something we use something the church uses, and, and we have labeled it a church, but that's not the church. These are the church. All of these are what the church is. These right here. It'll come up. I, I should have just let that roll through. Here we go. These are the church. This is the church. What you're seeing on the screen now is the church. The people are the church. This isn't anything new. I'm not, y'all aren't just blown away by my uh, theological acumen that, that you, this is stuff you've heard before, but I think we need to be reminded of what the church is and what the church isn't. And this morning, we're talking about Jesus and his church. Again, there is, there we are, or y'all were, uh, actually, that's an older picture. Uh, but that's the church. This is the church, whether we have pews or chairs or hardwood or carpet or whether it's gray or gold or red or whatever. None of that matters. It's, it's the people that make up the church. Though, though the people may be different, and they are, uh, some of these pictures were clearly third world churches, uh, churches meeting in gyms, churches meeting in sanctuaries. Though they're different, though they are separate, the church is one. There is one church. There are many meetings of the church, many gatherings of the church all over the world, but there is one church. And all churches, see, I just messed up, didn't I? The church, wherever it meets, wherever it, ga wherever it gathers, and whatever it looks like, has the same mission 
and the same command. And we're going to look at that mission and command this morning. Matthew chapter 28, your bulletin says verse 18. I went ahead and backed us up to verse 16 to start. Matthew 28, 16. And the disciples traveled to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped, but some doubted. Then Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now we're going to back up a little bit here and, 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 and get a running start into this passage, try to get a little bit of context. Jesus in his church is the uh, title of the message, but did you know that Jesus only used the word church, ecclesia, twice in all the Gospels? Only twice, both times it's here in Matthew. So we need to, since we're talking about the church, we, we really need to look at when Jesus used that term. Matthew 16, verses 13 through 20 if you want to turn back to that, you can. I'm not going to read it. I'm just going to talk about it here for a second. Matthew 16, 13 through 20, Jesus uses the word church the first time. He's using this term church not in the way that we use it. He's using it as his called out community. Uh, he has a very Old Testament understanding of, of, a, of a messianic community. Not the New Testament church the way Paul talks about it in his letters to the churches, and certainly not the way we in the 20th century, uh, 21st, yeah, we're in 21st century, uh, 21st century understand church. That wasn't Jesus' vision here. That wasn't his, his use of the word. Clearly, Jesus knew what the church would look like in 2,100 years or so. But, uh, or, or 2,000 years, I gave us a few more years, didn't I? Uh, 2,000 years or so, but that's not what he was talking about. He's talking about a called, a called out community, and this called out community, in this context, it's Jesus asking the disciples, who do you say that I am? And they give all sorts of answers, and Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answers him and says, you answered correctly, and no man told you this, but you received it from the Holy Spirit. And I tell you, upon this rock, you are Peter, you are rock, and upon this rock, I will build my church. Three things we learn from this passage the, where Jesus uses the word church, ecclesia, for the first time. First of all, that the church will have Peter as its leader. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this passage. This is a great sermon to spend 35 or 40 minutes on, but I'm not going to spend that long on it this morning. But Peter is the leader of the church, not in the sense of a pope, not in the sense that he was infallible or anything like that, because we're clearly going to talk about here in just a minute that Peter was not infallible, was uh, actually called out by Paul. I don't want to get ahead of myself, though. But Peter was the leader of the church in Jerusalem. Jeter, uh, Peter was the leader of the church. He was the first apostle to share the gospel with non-Jews, with Gentiles. Uh, he was the one that everybody looked to as leader. Even, even Paul understood Peter's position as leader of the church. That's the first thing we learn here in this passage where Jesus uses the term church. The second thing we see is that the church is going to be different from the world. Peter, upon this rock, I will build my, my church. Uh, I, I will build this thing, this called out group, this ecclesia, this uh, messianic community. 
It's going to be a community. It's going to be called out because it will be different. It's not going to be like the rest of the world. It's not going to look like them. It's not going to act like them. It's not going to respond in the same way that the rest of the world looks. It is going to be a different entity from the world. And then he says uh, at the end of this passage, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Third thing we see in this passage is that the church will be victorious. Interesting passage, interesting phrasing that Jesus, Jesus uses. Gates are defensive. Gates aren't offensive. You don't take your gates and attack people. That gates are how you keep people out. And yet Jesus says the gates of hell will uh, not prevail. Uh, I believe it was Spurgeon that said should, uh, and I'm going to paraphrase him here because I didn't write down the quote, should any person go to hell, may they leap over our bodies, grabbing at them to keep them out in order to do so. I mean, that, that's, that's, we are standing at the gates. We are uh, trying our best to keep people out of hell. The gates are trying to keep people in. We can't get them out. Don't, don't. You know, I'm not going there. But the, the gates are there to take in as many people as possible. And the Bible tells us, Jesus tells us, that the gates of hell will not prevail against it, that, that we, the church, the called-out group, the Messianic com community, will be victorious. Three things we learn there when Jesus uses the word church. Second thing we learn, second time, rather, that Jesus uses the word church is in Matthew 18, 15 through 20. Again, this, this Messianic community concept, uh, that not 21st century church, not even... Uh, second century or late first century when Paul's writing the letters to the churches, but this Old Testament view of the church. In this passage, Jesus is setting up how to handle those of the community that live in sin. This is where he tells them when someone is living in sin in the church, one or two go to them. If they don't respond, take a group. If, if that doesn't work, then put them out. Let Satan have them for a while in order to purify both them and the church. He is setting up how to handle sin within our community. This goes back to verse 16 or chapter 16. This is the responsibility, understanding that the responsibility of taking on hell requires discipleship through discipline. Y'all, the church does not have an easy task. It does not have a, a moderate task. It does not have a task that can be addressed flippantly and with lack of concern, and in, his, in any sort of lackadaisical matter, manner. Jesus says, in order to take the gates of hell, then we as a church must be purified and unified. There's far too little of this disciplinary action in the church today. Think back, if you can, of the last time a church went to somebody and said, look, your actions, your lifestyle, your, your living in sin is detrimental to the cause of Christ and the cause of church. So for a while, until you get that right, you're done in leadership, even in membership. I would dare say if we had a show of hands, very few hands would be raised of a time you can remember that happening. And yet here, the only, only the second time Jesus uses the word church, that's what he is saying to do. Uh, one of the main reasons church is in the shape they're in now is because we don't have regenerate membership. Churches have been very lax. And if you want to join and, and, and you say, yeah, I'm, I'm a Christian, that's great. And, and we don't ask enough questions. We don't require. I mean, we do on paper. 
but we don't require people, have you trusted Christ? Have you been baptized? Are you truly a follower of Jesus? And that's, that's what we're supposed to be as members. And some of y'all are, are right now thinking, well, it's none of your business what I do. Oh, yes, it is. It's not just my business. It's everybody's business in here because members are accountable to each other. Paul says, what do I have with judging the world? We love to talk about people who aren't in the church and how bad they are. Paul says, what do I have to do with them? I judge the people inside of the church. It is the right, it is the responsibility of church members to judge other church members. Yeah, I just used that word. You are supposed to judge other church members. It's the responsibility of the church. And that connects back, just like I said, to 16, 13 through 20, because to be different from the world, to be victorious over the gates of hell, you must discipline yourselves. We must be purified. And as I said, Paul disciplined Peter. The leader of the church, the rock the church was built on, Paul showed up one day in Jerusalem and said, Hey, Peter, I hear that when the, the Jews aren't here, the leaders, the Jewish leaders aren't in church, that you go and you sit and talk to the Gentiles. But when the Jewish leaders show up, well, you don't sit and talk to them. Boy, you are wrong, and you need to stop it. That's discipline. That is church discipline. Paul talking to the leader of the church. So, now we get to Matthew's last recorded words. Uh, last recorded words of Jesus. Matthew's last uh, few sentences. And the church gets it its marching orders. What it's supposed to be doing. And I think it's important. Obviously, I wouldn't have said it. That we understand the church is separate, different, victorious. The church disciplines itself. The church is prepared to do what it's supposed to do. So what is it supposed to do? If it's, if it's victorious, if it is... Uh, uh, different, and we are constantly growing, what is our job? Well, the church may use many tools and methods, but it only has one purpose. Our buildings may be different. It may be a thatch-roofed uh, thatch hut in uh, the plains of Africa, or it may be uh, brick and mortar with air conditioning in warm south Louisiana, but it does not matter what the tools are, the church, every church has the same mission and purpose, and we see that in the last verses of Matthew chapter 28. And we're going to look at four different things here as we go through this, four big points, and we're going to break those down a little bit. Fulfilling the command begins with worship, verses 16 and 17. The eleven disciples traveled to Galilee, it says, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. Notice it began with worship. They, they were obedient. Jesus had set up the mountain. Hey, meet me in Galilee. They said, all right. They went. The, the, actually, if you go back and read the story, it was the ladies that told him, the ladies that found the empty tomb and then saw him in the garden. That, and he said, go and tell my disciples to meet me in Galilee. So he did. They went to the mountain, and we don't know what mountain. It doesn't matter. They went to this mountain. They met him. And when they got there, they worshiped. How could you not? Right? How could you not fall down and worship? You were dead a little while ago. I saw you die, Jesus. I, I, I saw the nails. I saw you breathe your last. I saw the spear go in. I saw them take you down. And now you're alive. How could they not have worshipped? Well, I don't know if, if, if the ones who doubted didn't worship. Maybe they went through the motions. Maybe they got there and they saw their friends, you know, probably just the 11. That's all we know that was there. So maybe five, six, seven of them did it, and the other uh, three, four, five 
uh, were like, uh, all right, I don't know though. And so they worshiped, but, but they doubted. Did they doubt that it was Jesus? It's possible. Are we worshiping a ghost here? I mean, we, we read uh, other details of the, the post-resurrection appearances, and uh, that was not uncommon for them to think, wait, it's a ghost. Uh, what's going on here? So was there something of that going on? It's possible. Were they, were they scared they were about to, about to get reprimanded? That's very possible, too, because they had just denied him. Peter had done it three times. You know, the rock that the church was going to be built on had just denied him three times. The rest of them, they didn't even stick around to deny him. They all ran. One of them ran away naked. I mean, that, that is how scared they were. I ain't worried about you grabbing my clothes. I'm getting out of here. Are they fearful of this reprimand? Did they, did they come as a little hesitant because of that? That's, that's possible. Possible. Was, was there confusion about this new reality? Y'all, what does this mean? He was dead, now he's alive. And yeah, that's, that's, that's impressive. And, and sure, we worship, but what, what now? What does this mean for us? What is, what, is, is this what was supposed to happen? See, you can see some of the confusion. You can maybe understand some of the doubt. Well, I would say this morning that some of you can understand the doubt better than, there, than others. Because even in this room this morning, I believe there's some doubt. You came to church. You've been coming to church. And you've, you've heard me preach, and you've heard interims preach over the years. You've heard Dr. Holder preach. you heard Dr. Sample preach. I don't know the name of the guy before him, but some of y'all heard him preach. And I don't think any of you heard the guy before that. I think I've gotten... Uh, beyond anybody that's in here, but maybe you've heard it and heard it and heard it, but you still doubt. Maybe this is your first time, you, you, first time in church around here, maybe you still doubt. I, I got this Jesus idea down, I understand, yeah, the book written about him, but I still doubt. Discipleship begins with worship, the mission begins with worship, and doubt is what one of the things that keeps us from fulfilling the mission keeps us from fulfilling the purpose of the church. Second thing we see here is that fulfilling the command is based on the authority of Jesus. Verse 18, then Jesus came near and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All authority. How much is all? All. What is excluded from all? Nada. All authority has been given. All authority in heaven and on earth. This word all is used four times in this passage. They, the, the Greek writers, uh, the, the, the gospel writers, Paul, others, when, when they wrote, if they repeated a word a lot, it was on purpose. They, they, they were not uh, you know, casual in the way they wrote. This is God's word. God breathed. God's breath on paper. So there are no wasted words. So if the word's repeated, then there may be something we need to get out of that. All authority, he says. This is more than what Satan offered at the temptation back in chapter uh, 3, I think, of Matthew. Matt, uh, Satan comes to Jesus and says, you just worship me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of earth. I'll give you all the people right here. The, the very thing you are going to, if Satan knew what was coming, the very thing that you're going to die for, I'll give to you. Just worship me. 
And Jesus, of course, said no. Because he knew, number one, that wasn't the way to get them. That wasn't the way to save them. He might have them, but he wouldn't have saved them. Number two, he knew that there's more coming. Satan was offering earthly authority. Jesus, at this point, after defeating death and hell, after being obedient to his Father, even obedience to death on the cross, Jesus knows, I have all authority on earth. Exactly what you offered me, Satan. But guess what? Boom, booyah, gotcha. Authority in heaven as well. If, if they didn't understand the divinity of Jesus, if they did not understand his godness, now they're beginning to get, catch on. Y'all, I'm, 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 he's telling them, I'm, I'm, I'm here, earth, God, yep, yep. You know what? You saw me with the wind and the waves. You, you saw me raise people from, from death. You, you saw me heal people that shouldn't have been healed. You saw me come back from the grave. But even that, that's all about earthly stuff. That's all about tangible, temporal things. I've got stuff you can't imagine. I have all authority in heaven because I am the second person, and he's going to tell them here in just a second, the second person of the Trinity. It's not, it's not me and God, it's us. It's not the Holy Spirit and God, and then it's me, and no, it's us. I have all authority. The one with all the authority gives the command. You know, in this presidential election, we've got, we're, we're, we're voting on the commander-in-chief, right? The one who has all of the authority over our military. When, when the president declares that the military do something, they must do it, or they are insubordinate, they're treasonous, use your, use your word. Choose your word. So when the one with all the authority gives the command, you either do it, or you're no longer a part of the group. You either do it, or, or you have never really been faithful to the leader, faithful to the call, faithful to the command, the oath you took. Jesus, with all authority, gives the command that we're going to get to in a second, to go into the nations, to make the disciples, and church, are we obedient? Are we doing what he said? Because if we're not then are we a part of the group? Would you call yourself, I know I asked last week how many former military men, are, I know you're never uh, not a Marine, I've, I've heard that, I'm assuming you're never not a soldier or not a seaman either, so, so I'm just going to say, you, you were in the military, did it ever cross your mind not to obey an order? I guess maybe I'll, I'll answer for you and say you wish you didn't have to, right? You didn't want to get up at Reveille, you didn't want to spit polish your shoes you didn't want the quarter bounce on your bed or whatever had to be done i'm speaking totally from what i've seen in the movies <laughs> but did it ever cross your mind i'm just not going to obey them today no because they were your authority they had all authority over you if they didn't why did you get up so darn early you know why did you shave your head why did you spit polish, etc., etc., etc.? Because they had all authority. What would have happened if you had said, oh, gee, Sergeant, I don't want to today. And yet we say, oh, gee, Jesus, I don't want to today. All authority over his church, 
and we tell him no daily. The command we see is to make disciples. Yeah, I left that hanging because, church, I don't think we're obedient. The command is to make disciples, verses 19 and 20. All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go, therefore, command. Actually, that go is more of a participle. It's going. It has I and G on the end of it. So it, it, it's not the, the command. It's not the imperative here. The imperative is coming in a, in a few words. That's to make disciples. But the therefore sends us right back to, if I have authority, and we know he does because we saw the miracles. We see him uh, back from the dead. We... we we see him through the eyes of Peter, James, and John transfigured on the Mount of Transfiguration where they got to see him somewhat in the glory that was really his all along but that he hid from us for a time. If, if that is the case, if I have proven that I have all authority, and he has, then you have a command. You have an imperative to make disciples. And that's the imperative. Not go, but make disciples. Church, we are not called to fellowship. We are not called to form committees. We're not called to create programs. We're not called to build buildings. We're not called to write policies. We're not called to vote in business meetings. We're not called to host receptions. We're not called to feed the hungry. And we're not called to help the poor. We are called, commanded, to make the disciples. Make disciples. That is our call. That is our command. Now, these are ways we do that. These are methods that we may use. These are tools. These are ways that we set up the, the, the way we function so that we can do it best. But everything we do has to be for the mission of proclaiming the gospel to a lost world. Because we have something they cannot get without Jesus. We have something that we should be excited to share because we get to spend eternity with Jesus. All the committees on the wor in the world will never win people to Christ. All the fellowships in the world will never win people to Christ. Business meetings, I guarantee you, will never win people to Christ. What wins people to Christ is me telling somebody who doesn't know about Jesus and you telling somebody who doesn't know about Jesus about Jesus, and then coming to know him through faith. That is what wins the world. That's what we're called to do. So we keep our ways, we keep our methods. We never, ever, and, and uh, let me back up, we only keep our ways and our methods to the extent that they win people for the Jesus, win the lost for Jesus. The command is make disciples. Then we do this in three ways. These are those participles, those I-N-G words here that don't often show up in, in our English language. We first, we make disciples by going. We get out of the building. It, fewer and fewer lost people come to church just cause. You know, uh, fewer and fewer people feel like the church has anything for them in their lives. I, I, I read on, on Facebook uh, about a, a pastor in, I don't even remember now, uh, but in a restaurant, sitting and listening to a, a political discussion of uh, some folks who were torn between who they were going to vote for. 
for various reasons, there was this conversation going on. And this pastor joined the conversation in order that he could let them know, you know what? All of our confusion, all of our doubt, that will never go away on earth. But Jesus is the answer to every problem that we have. Jesus is the answer to every confusion that we have. See, he was in a restaurant. He wasn't at church. They weren't weren't coming to church to find answers. He had to go and tell them and find them and just butt into a conversation and say, you know, political people are not the solution. Jesus is. He had to go and tell them that because they're not coming to our churches. Folks, we are disobeying Jesus if we say something like, they know where the church is. If they want it, they can come get it. Years ago, we were visit. We had just moved to a town, and uh, we we had visited. I was sixth grade, I think. I'm not even gonna tell you the town. I just I don't even want to label it that much. We ended up visiting on Sunday morning. Someone came and visited the our home uh, Monday or Tuesday night. My daddy told them something about we had a little trouble finding the church. It was off the main highway. It was down the road. It was kind of even a block off of what would have been the main drag, if I remember correctly. So we went to visit Wednesday night, the ne- that Wednesday night. Happened to be business meeting night. And there was a gentleman that said, I think the, the guy that we talked to stood up and said, I visited a, a family this week, and they said they had trouble finding the church. Maybe we need to look into putting a billboard out on the highway or some sort of signage to point them down the road so that they know, people know who don't know the area or new to the area, know how to find the church. And a little lady, who, who uh, she stood up and she said something along the lines of, my grandfather helped lay the foundation of this church. And there is no need for a sign on the highway. Even beggars and bums can find our church when they want money. So why do we need to put a sign on the highway for other people to find it? We didn't go back. We didn't. Her idea was, why do we need to change anything? Beggars can find our church. Folks, we have to do, we have to go. And if that means putting a sign on the highway, well, that's part of it. But even that's not enough. If we are not going, if we are not out there, we're not doing it. Going is evangelism. Now, just going isn't evangelism. You've got to share the gospel, and you've got to tell people how they can receive Christ. That's evangelism. But going is is one of the ways, that's the first way Jesus says we do it. Go. Going is evangelism, but folks, going is not a program. I'm going to get real personal here for just a second. If you're waiting to tell people about Jesus until this church has an evangelism program, you're doing it wrong. Evangelism is not a program. Evangelism is a way of life called on by Jesus for each and every member of the church, not the church. 
not the church's responsibility to make an evangelism program so that you can tell people about Jesus. If you are saved, you have a testimony. If you know how you came to Jesus, you can tell somebody else how to come to Jesus. If you're struggling to tell people how to come to Jesus, maybe you need to examine how you came to Jesus. Because if you can't tell people that, if, if your come to Jesus story is I grew up in church, please come talk to me. Because you didn't come to Jesus, you came to church. And coming to church doesn't save you. So if you're waiting on that, then, then, then we're doing it wrong. There's no one to whom we should not go. Name your area of sulfur. They're loved by God. Created in his image. Think of the worst looking, smelliest, whatever, most opposite of you person that you've seen in town over the last month. That person is created in God's image. That person is someone that God loves. That person is someone that Jesus died for. And we snort and look away. When, when we are doing what we are supposed to do, we're going out and we're telling people about Jesus. The past few weeks I've had someone come and, and want to uh, step up and, and go, and she is setting up a table at uh, Christmas Under the Oaks, December 3rd, is that what it is, that uh, Saturday night? Why? Because she wants to take the message outside of these doors. We do great things here. That's not enough. If that's what we're counting on, it's not enough. So I commend her for doing that, for stepping up. We should all be looking for ways, how can I take the gospel outside of these doors? The second thing that Jesus says, the, 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 the second thing we do in order to make disciples is to baptize, to initiate them into community. Baptism is no peripheral act, y'all. Baptism isn't just something we do because we have Baptist in our name. Baptism is something we do because Jesus said, go make disciples by going and by baptizing. Baptizing is a part of making a disciple. Baptism does not save you. I will never stand here and say that if you've never been baptized, you are not saved. You'll never hear those words come out of my mouth. But I will say that if you have not been baptized, you're saved, you're a believer, you've trusted Christ, but you have not been baptized, you are walking in disobedience. Baptism is the beginning of obedience and discipleship. It's the first big step. Baptist churches, in a lot of ways, have gotten it wrong. We say coming down front and announcing that you want to follow Christ is your public profession of faith. No, it's not. That's maybe how you come and you just, you're asking questions or you want to let people know or whatever. Your profession of faith, your following and obedience happens right up there in that water or in somebody's swimming pool or in a bayou somewhere. It doesn't matter where. Somebody's bathtub. In Europe, they baptize in bathtubs all the time. That is your profession of faith. That is you stepping out in obedience for the first time and say, you know what, I don't care what anybody thinks. I am going to identify through this uh, initiating rite of baptism with all the other believers who are and who have ever been. I'm going to join the crowd, I'm going to join the group, and Jesus says it is a part of making disciples. Lastly, making disciples is going, baptizing, and teaching. Y'all, they are not disciples until they've been taught. We, we, we want to 
share the gospel with them and they say, yeah, I want that. Yes! Nice to meet you. We come home, we come back to church, we got one. Where are they? Five weeks, five months, five years later. Did we disciple them? Did we teach them? We didn't make a disciple. We probably made a very confused person who's going to hell, would be my guess. Now, some cases, I'm not saying you don't share the gospel wherever you go. Absolutely. You share the gospel whenever and with whomever God should lead you to share the gospel with. Absolutely all the time. And you're not going to be able to disciple that person every time all the time. I understand that. But we should be so invested in those people that when we do, can I get your name and number? Because I want to call you and talk to you how, how you're doing in a few days, a few weeks. I want to help you find a church that you can get into to be discipled. But if it's local, you need to be in a church. We would love for you to come here and be discipled, but go somewhere and be discipled. See, teaching and discipling is what we do. That's what we do. My message is on Sunday morning. I always present the gospel, and I always will present the gospel. But the messages on Sunday morning are primarily to teach, to disciple. This is the big group discipleship. And then before this, and on Wednesday nights and on Sunday nights, we have the smaller group discipleship. We're not even done there. There should be the personal discipleship, one-on-one, two-on-two, one-on-three. You know, the smaller groups that we grow together as Christians. That is what we do. If the, if the church is ever asked, well, what do you do at the church? We make disciples. We teach. We disciple people. Do we... Do we share the gospel? Yes. But we share the gospel in order to make disciples. We don't share the gospel in order to make converts. We share the gospel in order to make disciples, followers of Jesus, not just believers in Jesus. A lot of believers in Jesus who do not follow Jesus. A lot of believers, believers, because even the demons believe and tremble, who are going to hell. Now, I know you're, I may have just confused you. Wait, you just called, said believers are going to hell. We need to qualify believers. They believe in the existence of Jesus. They believe in some things about Jesus, but they are not heart believers by faith. And so, they don't have salvation. No, I can't point them out to you. Teaching and discipleship is what we do. Everything else is expendable. Everything everything. There's nothing we do that we cannot get rid of except for teaching and discipleship. Making disciples. The number one of all of our tools, the number one goal of all our tools, the number one purpose of everything we do, whether it's music ministry and children's ministry and youth ministry and buildings and everything else, the number one goal of all of that is to teach and disciple, to make disciples. If not, we need to get rid of it because that is not the purpose of the church. Everything plays second to discipleship, to growing followers of Jesus. We have a gentleman in our church came to me this week, I think, said, I want to I start a new Sunday school class. He meets with some, some guys who don't go to church anywhere he says, you know, this might be a way to bring them in to the church. He sees an opportunity to disciple more people. I'm excited about that. First of all, that a church wants to start another Sunday school class because that, well, that means you're going to take away from my class. Great! 
More Sunday school classes means more opportunities to reach people, more opportunities to disciple. And here's a gentleman who says, I want to disciple. I want to see people grow in their faith. That should be the, the, the desire of every person in here. I want to see people come to Jesus, and I want to see them follow him more and follow him better and be more obedient. That's the call. So my questions to you first is, are you a disciple of Jesus? Within the sound of my voice this morning, are you a disciple of Jesus? Do you doubt this morning or do you worship? If you are, great. If you are a disciple, if you worship, awesome. Are you fulfilling the command? Hmm, gotcha. Yeah, I, I knew the answer to the first question, then I threw another one in there. You are a disciple? Are you fulfilling the command? Are you evangelizing? Are you making disciples? Second question is, would you like to be a disciple of Jesus? Maybe you're not. Maybe you, maybe you have not trusted Christ as your Savior. Today is your day to choose what you will be. And let me tell you this. If you decide today not to decide, you have decided. Because should your time come later on this afternoon and you have decided not to decide, when you meet Jesus at the judgment seat, he will say, you decided. When you decided not to decide. Decide today to follow Jesus. Become a disciple. Believers, you should know who in here is not a disciple of Jesus. You should have asked. You should know your friends and your family well enough. You should know who you need to talk to, who you need to pray for. You want to be a disciple, unbeliever, non-disciple this morning? You, you don't follow Jesus? Oh, you've, you believe in what it says, you believe, sure, Jesus existed, but you don't have saving faith. Today is your day to become a disciple. Let me explain it to you. You are a sinner. All have sinned and fall short of the, fallen short of the glory of God. You, me, everybody else. We are all sinners. Because we are sinners, our wages is death. The wages of sin is death. It's what we deserve. That is what we will get. Every one of us will die. Physical death is a result of sin, and that is a result that we all have to go through. But the other result of sin is a spiritual death, separation from God. If you are not a believer in Jesus this morning and you die, you will experience Spiritual separation from God for eternity. That is what you deserve, and that's what you're going to get. But the gift of God is eternal life. Not eternal physical life. Yes, eternal physical life, but your body's still going to die. It just comes back later. But the spiritual life is what he's talking about. Eternal spiritual life and eternity with him forever, right? Eternity. That is the gift of God. But it's not just because. It's not just because you came to church this morning. It's not just because you've come to church for the last 85 years. It's not because you read this book. It's not because you believe this book. It is because you have personally placed your faith 
in Jesus Christ and him alone for your salvation. I wish there was a button or a switch somewhere that we could click and, oh, I'm a believer. It's just not that way. It is a response on your part to believe in that gift, to trust in that gift, to place your faith in that gift is what the Bible says. God proved his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So, y'all, there's, there's, God's not surprised by your sinfulness. I might be, the person next to you might be, God is not. Even in your most depraved, Jesus died for you. Even in your most sinful state, God loves you. Your most sinful state is right now. doesn't matter what you're doing. We are all in our most sinful state. We are totally helpless to do anything about our sin. But Jesus is not. Because 10, Romans 10, 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's you, that's me, that's anybody. I've done it. Many people in here have done it as well. Have you done it? Have you called on the name of the Lord Jesus and been saved? Because if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's the gospel. Trust, faith, internalization, a heart belief in what Jesus has done for you. Have you done that today? Are you a disciple? Become a disciple today. Today is your opportunity. Don't let it pass. Pray with me. Father, I thank you, God, that you have provided a way to make disciples, for disciples to make disciples. Lord, this is your calling. This is your command. This is the responsibility of the church. Lord, as we worship, as we come here to be disciples, let us not lose, fact, uh, lose, lose sight of our purpose, which is to make disciples. God, if there's somebody here this morning in this room or who will hear this message down the road who doesn't know you as Savior, has never placed their faith in you, saving faith, never become a true disciple, follower of Jesus, I pray they will respond today. God, you have made the way, and today is their day. God, I, I ask that you would draw them, and Lord, that they would come to you. Speak to every heart this morning in this time of decision. Use us greatly. Use this church in Sulphur and around the world. See the lost come to know Jesus as Savior. God, use us in a mighty way. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So what is your decision this morning? Are you a discipler? Are you not discipling as you should disciple? Then you need to come and let's fix that. You need to fix it with God. I'm not your confessor. Go to God. I'll be happy to pray with you. But go to God. Unbeliever, you're not a disciple. It's today your day to be a follower of Jesus, to be a disciple. I pray that it is you want to talk about that, come talk to me now. I'll pray with you. Grab me after church. Tell me, can I come see you this week? Absolutely. That's what I live for. That's why I'm here. This is great. But to see people come to know Jesus and become disciples and be disciples, that's why I'm called to what I do. That's why you're called to be a part of this church. Let's stand. Let's sing this time of decision.